0: Well, well praise the Lord. It is so good to gather. I was uh, so excited this morning uh, that I was so disappointed that this was uh, the day that we had to turn back our clocks because I wanted to get here this morning. And it was an extra hour that we had to go through of uh, sleep. I don't know about you, but uh, I am eager to get here again on Sunday morning. And I think uh, one of my favorite uh, services happens to be again the anniversary service and it's not because it's usually on my birthday it's uh it's uh, it's uh, because uh we get to really revel in the grace of god and whatever you think about 71 years whether you think it's a lot or whether you think it's a few it's amazing because this church is founded on the grace of our great savior the lord jesus christ we realize, again, he's the foundation. Without, the, without Jesus Christ, this is just one religious organization among many, uh, but we realize that he's the foundation. He's our all. He's preeminent in everything that we do, and I think it's really good for us to look back and recognize why the church happens to be founded and also, again, uh, by that look forward with a great anticipation of the great blessing that we will have if we keep looking at Christ, if we keep, again, that gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ central in each one of our lives and each one of our in 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 the testimony of the church now saying all of that I'm going to use this passage of scripture that a brother again read as a touchstone basically again as a jumping board to, re- to really uh, uh give you my passion you know what what I hope for the church what I see again as difficulties to have in the beginning each one of our lives uh, the struggles again that that we might have again as we go forward and uh, and and also again reflect on why we have a church, why 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 we have this institution that happens to begin right here. Because I see that these are really really difficult times. I mean, we read about it in various different blogs and various different books that the uh, church is going through much difficulty. You know, there's many people who walk away from faith, walk away from Christianity again every year. There's churches. I mean, all you have to do is drive through Canada. And every small community that you go through, you'll see a building and it'll be transformed. It used to be a church and it'll be transformed maybe in a gymnasium. Uh, there's a small little community that I drive through and the church is actually, uh, actually changed into a bar. You, you know, it's amazing because they're used for various different things, various different uh, uh, events, except meeting to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And really the church is going through a huge difficulty. You know, and I, I don't think it takes a rocket science to know that, especially after the, the, I would say, the last five years. I think, again, as a church, you know, I, and I'm not just, and I'm not talking about Emmanuel Baptist Church in particular, but the church in general, seems to take the social issues that are happening, again, out there, you know, the real volatile ones, the real emotional ones, and bring them in, into the uh, uh, body of believers. You know, and you look at our society. You look how fractured it is. You look how divisive it is. You look at how much animosity and hatred there are towards various different people that happen to be again out there, and um, and it's and it's palpable, isn't it? Uh, we can uh, we, we can really feel it. You know, whether it happens to be Black Lives Matter, so whether it happens to be government overreach, whether it happens to be COVID, whether it happens to be again all these things that happen to be again out there we realize that there's a lot of anger. And a lot of times, I think we bring these difficulties into the church. You know. And I think, again, a lot of times we get frustrated, we get angry with the government, with, with everything else like that. And I think we're more scared of what's going on in our society rather than more fearing of this great God that happens to be above. You know. So much so that if we think if somebody doesn't align with us politically, if somebody doesn't align with us in a certain social issue, that somehow they're out of the grace of God. You know, and you can see it again, again everywhere, that the uh, judgment of God is upon them. You know, and uh, rather than truly seeing the gospel and the sure foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, other things, again, become the firm foundation. You know, and you can see that in society, but that's brought into the church. Another thing that's brought into the church is that feeling of helplessness, that feeling of loneliness, that feeling of utter despair and even hopelessness that happens to be in our society, it's all the way around us. You know, when you think of the one place where hope, the one place of light, the one place, again, of acceptance would be found is in the Church of Jesus Christ. But more people than, than ever before, when they look at the Lord Jesus Christ, they see an entity that's judgmental, that's not accepting. So if I come with my burdens, if I come with my hurts, if I come with my frustrations, if I come with my trials, my t- temptations, my failures, whatever it happens to be again in my life, you know, I am going to be contemned. You know, I'm not going to find ha- uh, hope. I'm not going to find happiness that happens to be again in, uh, in, uh, in the uh, church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think the church, you know, what it should be, because of the gospel we preach should be one of the most safest places to come with all of our burdens with all of our cares you know this is the one place that we should come beyond a shadow of a doubt be able to care for one another mutually confess even even our sins and it's all because of the gospel find encouragement find teaching find gentle correction you know, because that's part and parcel of the gospel. But so often we don't find those things. We don't find that place of solace, that place of rest, that place, again, of encouragement in Christ, do we? You know, and it's very easy to say, praise God, I was hoping the pastor would preach something like this. And it's so easy to say, praise God, amen. But let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, in order for this to happen, you have to be part of the church, right? And what I mean by that is just not coming out to an hour, hour a week, but part of the church functioning, again, as a member of Emmanuel Baptist Church, so much so that you're applying your life to the visible body of, of uh, believers. But, but looking at all of that, I must say that I don't think that's the biggest, the biggest obstacle for Emmanuel Baptist Church mo- moving forward. You know, many times when I look at the uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church, certainly, again, these things concern us. Certainly the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ even touches on some of these things and, 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 and how we behave. But one of the greatest obstacles that I see going forward for Emmanuel Baptist Church is basically this. I think we have a sound theology. I really do. I think we have a, a, a sound theology that correct, correctly so opens open up the word of God correctly exegetes the word of God correctly again says this is what the Lord says thus says the Lord you know and I don't think there's any problem with that you know I I listen to it in a Sunday school uh, class whether it happens to be in adults whether it happens to be in junior church and and I hear that message and really I don't think that's the greatest danger as we go forward as a church who are celebrating think of it 71 years I mean, it's absolutely amazing. You know what I think the greatest danger moving forward is? You know, that there is a failure to take what we profess as far as our doctrine and see how it intersects with our life. See, see, see how it's meant to change us and mold us. To Open up our heart to show us the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and truly be changed by that truth. You know, and and that really struck me just recently because of a couple of things that I saw and that I read, and one of them was a picture, you know, of a church, and maybe they were celebrating the anniversary, I really don't know. It was a picture taken back, I think it was in the 1950s, and the whole church was gathered on the uh, platform, they had various different steps, and people were gathered right there, And, and, and it was just a picture, just a snapshot, it was in black and white. You know, in the front row that happened to the beginning of that picture were a whole bunch of men that were dressed in white, with white hoods on it. You know, and what it was, was a KKK, you know, right here in a church, and we're shocked by that. You know, and I was shocked by that, I was disgusted by that, I remember shaking my head, but then I remember thinking this, what did they believe about the gospel? Did they believe the same gospel of Jesus Christ? Did they preach that Jesus Christ is the one foundation of the church? And it would be easy to say, no, no, no. But here's my whole point. They might have. And why were they? When we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that every tribe, every race, every language will be found in this great kingdom glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. How can someone have that when they preach the same gospel as us? And here it is. We can, we can profess this, but there's no intersection in our life. There's no change that comes over us in how we treat one another. You know, the second thing that, 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 uh, that really brought this to um, light was a, uh, a sermon by Sam Berry. And he preached on 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8. And this is what it says If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his, of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And this is taken from 1 Timothy, isn't it? And 1 Timothy, the whole theme of 1 Timothy is basically this right doctrine for right behavior in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and as you look at this, you know, Aliberry's whole point was not to come up, you know, if you, you have to take care of your family members, you have to take care of your family members, you have to take care of your family members. In fact, that was a minor point in his sermon. His whole point was that uh, was the end of it where he says, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And this was his whole point. His whole point was this. He says, I thought the only way that you could apostatize the faith was by wrong doctrine. And he says, as I look at this verse, it's not wrong doctrine, it's the only way. But it's through wrong practice. You know, I can profess, this is the gospel, but not let it, again, have any intersection, any entrance into my heart, where it actually changes my disposition, it actually changes how I worship, how I think, how I interact with others, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and although these are turbulent times and difficult times and there's danger that happens to be gig go before us, I think these, are, these can be the most exciting days because I think even as our society becomes darker, if we're letting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ intersect with, in our lives and in our hearts, we can be the greatest light in our society, I, I think, in the last hundred years. You know, I really think if the, ch- if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ keeps that message, keeps Jesus Christ as central, and we concentrate, and we love, and we adore, and we cherish him, and let that message change us, I, I think there's a great revival coming. I think people are hopeless, people are in despair, pe- people are bitter, and they're looking for answers. And here's His lighthouse. Shining this beam of this great message of faith. But not only shining and speaking forth this message, but actually living it out. Actually having that, that intersection. So I hope that you'll stay with us all day because I have a three-part message that I'm going to do in two sermons. You know, and I'm going to give you the outline. And the outline is basically this. I want us to understand what our only hope is. I want us to understand what the only foundation that we have, why we are found acceptable in God's sight. And I want us to recognize that. And I want us to recognize, here's point number two, that my natural bent, whether I happen to be a believer or not, is towards self-righteousness. It's towards, again, I am different than others. I am more acceptable because of who I am, what I do, or what I believe before this holy God. And my third point is what it really would look like in our society, in our church, to have a grace-infused, a grace culture that speaks, again, of the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll stay with us all day. You know, I hope, again, this message will really, again, really shape us as we go forward. You know, but the first thing that we have to understand beyond, beyond a shadow of a doubt is we have to understand what our only hope is. You know, and in verse number 13 of Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, after all this preaching, after all this talk, after all this division that happened to be going on in a Galatian church, he says, for you were called to freedom. And let me just stop right there. You know, when it says you're called to freedom, it's amazing how we often take a verse, right? Right? We take a verse that happened to be right here, we chop it out, and all of a sudden we divorce it from its context. You know, and it's amazing how many people use this as an excuse for any, of, any sort of aberrant behavior. You know, and he keeps talking about their freedom, talking about their freedom, talking about their freedom, and he keeps saying this: "Don't act this way. Don't act this way." And why? Because you're free. Right? And it's incredible how we can many times manipulate the Word of God. And the reason why I think people come up with that is they think that Paul is talking about in the opening chapters, he's talking about this doctrinal problem, this doctrinal deviation. But when it comes to chapter number 5, especially in, in verse 13 and following, he's talking about, again, some practice that happens to be there. But there are two unrelated issues that happen to be there, and we couldn't be f- further from the truth. You know, if you had to name the great doctrine of Galatians it wouldn't be hard if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have studied the word of God for any time and the great doctrine that is taught throughout the book of Galatians is the doctrine here it is of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and that doctrine is at the core of our salvation there is no salvation there is no hope outside of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It's at the core of our salvation. And if it's at the core of our salvation, get this, then the most relevant, the most applicable, the most life-changing truth that we can have in our lives his understanding of the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. But let me tell you, you cannot be changed by that truth, by that gospel, unless you know what it is, right? You know, we have to know what it is. Martin Luther, uh, who's famously taught, you know, you know, we just celebrated the anniversary in 1517 of him nailing those 95 theses on the uh, door in, in Wittenberg and beginning the, what we call the Protestant Reformation. You know, uh, Martin Luther said this is not one doctrine among many. He says again that when you look at this doctrine, this is not a take it or leave it doctrine. But this is what he wrote. He says it is the article by which the church stands or falls. He says without this, right, the church falls. It is nothing. It is just a dead entity. There is no salvation outside of justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we realize, again, the whole problem that happened to be in these Galatian churches. There were certain men coming in uh, from Jerusalem, certain prominent men, and they were basically teaching this, that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, Now think of it, Jesus is the Messiah. He died for our sins, but here's the message, it was really not enough. And they were either articulating that verbally, very strongly, or they, were, or they were giving that, again, as an impression in how they lived. You know, that there were certain ways that you had, if you wanted God to be well-pleased with you, if you wanted a right standing with God, then you had to become a Jew, at least ritual, ritualistically, through circumcision and through keeping of the dietary laws that happened to be again right there. And we realize, beyond a shadow of a doubt, because Paul starts off this gospel and he says, if any bring any other gospel, and think of it, because we know what the gospel is through the book of Galatians. He's talking about the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, which is the only gospel. He says, if any come to you and preach any other gospel, let them be damned. That's the word he uses when he uses a Have nothing to do with them. Right? So what is it when we speak of the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone? Well, Let me just give, um, uh, why is it so important? Why would Luther say the church stands and falls again on this one doctrine that happens to be again there? Why does Paul even pronounce a curse on any who would teach contrary? Well, listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 3 beginning at verse number 10. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide. In other words, someone who does not do everything that they know about the law. And let me tell you this. Just because I do not know 613 laws that happen to begin of the Old Testament doesn't mean I'm not under law. You know, there's a law written on our hearts, right? I know what is right. I know what is wrong, right? And so here it's telling us. If I don't abide by them, there's a curse in my life. And that curse comes from God. It's talking about the wrath of God. It's talking about, again, the judgment of God that is brought upon me. So here it is. Cursed be, be everyone who does not abide by, the, by all the things, not some of the things, all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident, right? What, it, what is easy to see? Now it is evident that no one, here it is, is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, here it is, the one who does them shall live by them, right? And it's saying, nobody. We're all sinners. We're all in this camp together under the judgment of God. That's what makes the sameness, Right? Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you grew up, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your ethnicity, it doesn't matter anything about you. All of us are under this judgment of God, this curse that has come upon us because of sin. None of us stand righteous. None of us can say, look at me, look at who I am, look at what I've accomplished. God must be so impressed with me, God must accept me. Right? He says, None. That's the problem. But listen, listen how he continues. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, how did Jesus Christ redeem us? How did he purchase us? What did he do? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Here, here's by. By becoming a curse for us. How did he become a curse? For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Do you see what happens there? I'm condemned. I'm unrighteous. You know, there's no hope that happens to be before me. And here comes Jesus Christ, the all righteous one. Here's the one who lived that perfect life. Here's the one who delighted in his Father. Here's the one who fulfilled the law. And this is what happened Christ became a curse in its plural, right? For us. It doesn't matter if we're Jew or gentle. It doesn't matter, again, who we are. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. Here's my sin. And my sin, not in part, but the whole, was taken and placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So he becomes that curse. He takes the wrath. He takes the punishment that I deserve. But at the same time, Christ, who lived that perfectly righteous life and didn't deserve any punishment, any wrath, his righteousness is taken and imputed or laid upon my account. So here's my holy standing forevermore. My holy standing is not only not guilty, but perfectly righteous. Right? Because the age-old question that's often asked is this, how can a sinner who, again, keeps on sinning and can't help but sin ever come before an all-righteous, all-holy, all-good, and even all-loving God? How is it possible? And there's only one way of possible, and that is through the righteousness of another. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. His perfect righteousness. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Think of it. Oh, my soul. Are you overcome with that grace this morning? Are you overcome with what he has done, with unworthy, ill-deserving sinners such as you and I? You know, and that's where we get back to Galatians chapter 5, 13. Because when he talks about freedom here, he's not talking about a new freedom. He's talking about, again, a freedom from the demands, from the condemnation, from the judgment of God. That's what he's talking about, again, right here. The law has no power, no authority over me evermore because I stand absolutely complete in the one who is all righteous. And that happens to be, again, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's not just an intellectual truth. It is an intellectual truth. It has to be understood. It has to be taken in. It has to be believed. But it's so much more than that. You know, it really touches the fiber of who I am. And we're all familiar. I think most of us are familiar with the name John Bunyan. John Bunyan was famous for writing Pilgrim's Progress. Ray Ortland quotes Another book that he read, I read it a a number of years ago. I tried to find it and I can't find it, but it's called Grace Abounding. And Grace Abounding was more of an an autobiography of John Bunyan. And he speaks again of uh, his conversion, and he says again in the uh, book this. He says, one day as I was passing into the field, and that too with some dashes of my conscience, fearing lest all was still not right. Suddenly, this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And I thought I saw with the eyes of my soul, otherwise dwelling on this truth, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There I say, as my righteousness. So that wherever I was, whatever I was doing, God could not say of me. Here it is. He lacks my righteousness. For that righteousness was right before him. I also saw that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better. In other words, you know, I'm not more acceptable because I'm here at church. I'm not more acceptable because I read my Bible this week. I'm not more acceptable before God because I preach the gospel. I'm not more acceptable for any of that. And he says, and he goes on, and he says, nor my bad frame. In other words, the bad things that I have done that made my righteousness worse. Why? For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. The same yesterday and today and forevermore. And listen to what happened, right? There's an apprehension of this truth. And listen to what happens. Now did my chains fall off. My legs, indeed. Now I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. Here, therefore, I live for some time very sweetly at peace with God through Christ. Oh, I thought, Christ, Christ, there was nothing but Christ before my eyes. Can you feel that? Can you sense that? You know, that idea that we are justified forevermore because of what Jesus Christ has done. And I stand secure because of who he is and what he has done in my stead. Can you feel that truth? Can you sense that truth? Because there is a problem. And you know what the problem is? I don't stay there. I'm quickly led astray. I'm quickly, you know, realize, yeah, yeah, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And I really start indulging in the things of the flesh. I mean, because look look at what he says back in verse number 13. He says, for you were called to freedom. We have this freedom. We have this great and glorious gospel of Christ, this doctrine of justification. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You know what an opportunity for for the flesh is? It's about me. It's about me. Right? It's about my acceptance before a holy God because it's about me and what I've done and what I've accomplished again that happened to be again in our life. Martin Luther again in his commentary on the book of Galatians says this, this doctrine, this justification by faith alone and Christ alone cannot be beaten into our ears enough or too much. Yes, though we learn it and understand it well, yet there is no one That takes hold of it perfectly or believes it with all of his heart. So frail a thing is our flesh in disobedience to the Spirit. Think about what Luther says it's got to be beaten into us. Why would any truth need to be beaten into us? And here it is he says, because so quickly we go astray. So quickly, we make it about ourselves. So quickly, because think about it. Because here it is, our natural bent. I said this at the beginning. Our natural bent that happens to be in each one of our life is not Christ's justifier. It's not that he is justified. Our natural bent of each one of us is self-righteousness. Or we could word it another way, another religious way. My self-justification. I am acceptable before a holy God, based upon who I am, what I've accomplished in my life. And this was the problem again at Galatian. Uh, The the, uh, Galatian churches, when left to ourselves, think about it. We come back time and time again to to self-righteousness. And think of Peter, right? Think of Peter. I mean, there's a sense where we love Peter and there's a sense that we shake shake our heads at him, right? But here's Peter and no doubt he's discipling these Gentile believers that happen to be through the region of Galatia in these various different churches. And all of a sudden, here comes these pr- prominent Jews, these prominent, again, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ from Jerusalem. You know, I want to keep good faith in them. I want to I want to make sure, you know, if there's any invitation to these big conferences, I've got these guys on my side. You know, look at them. Look at who they are. And all of a sudden, Peter, here he is, Peter, withdraws from these Galatian believers and just goes over and he eats with these Jewish Judaizers that happen to begin over here. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's what self-justification always does. It always creates a rift. It always creates division. It always says, look at my life. You know, look at what I do. Look at who I am. Look at what I've accomplished. I'm different than other people. Isn't it true? You look at all innuendos. Oh, do you see the guy? Oh, do you look at all gossip? Uh, you know, I'm just going to tell you this about this girl that happened to begin over here who goes to church. You know, all slander, all backbiting, has its core in this self-justification. Look at me. I am different, right? I am more acceptable before this holy God. You know, and think of it, because that so often spreads, doesn't it? You complain. Somebody sees. Ah, there's some validity behind that complaint, right? Nothing's ha- nothing's changed. <coughs> You know, except we sway other people. Here's Peter, and he, you know, here he is. All of a sudden, Barnabas comes over. You know, and here's the thing you have to realize. We influence other people that happen to be again around us by our self-justification. And think of it. I want you to get this. What gospel does Peter preach? And it is the gospel of self-justification, Or Jesus' justification? And that's an easy answer. The gospel that Peter preaches, that Peter says, this is my all, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has done it all. Remember him? You know, before the Sanhedrin, this is a lot more difficult, a lot more pr- pressure that happens to be again upon him. And what does he announce in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12? And there is salvation, where? In no one else, for there is no other name. He's not talking about uh, dietary laws. He's not talking about uh, circumcision. He's not talking about anything else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, doesn't matter who we are, by which we must save saved. Right, his doctrine, what he professes about salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely orthodox. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares me a bit. Doesn't it? You know, i got all my, you know, I'm a five-pointer. How many points are you? I'm a five-pointer. Right? How many solas do you? Sola gracia, sola fidei, sola christia, you know, right, all of them. We can have all of our doctrinal ducks in a row, but truly not let those truths touch our hearts. So what does Paul do? Paul realizes that there's a lot at stake here. And so what Paul does is confront him, again, of, uh, of practicing the separation from eating with Gentile believers. And listen to what he says, beginning at Galatians Chapter 2, in verse number 14, he says, When I saw their conduct... Now listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. He's not saying that they believed the wrong thing. But listen to what he says. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew... How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And there's that phrase. "Not in step with the gospel. Right? The way that you live, the way that you function, and this is telling us beyond a shadow of a doubt, the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone should transform all of our lives and all of our relationships to happen to begin in that life. If it does not, it creates, again, what we see here in the book of Galatians. It creates discord and divisions. It causes us to live like the world that happens to be around us and end up losing this gospel. We end up living like self justified. And listen to what else he says to you, uh, Paul says to Peter in chapter number 2, too, because he continues on. And he talks about their own birth. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet, this is what we know. Right? Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also believed in Jesus Christ. Why? In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because why? Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you see what's at stake here? Do you see the message of Jesus of uh, salvation in Jesus Christ alone just, justified having that holy standing before him through that faith and trust in him alone? But the question becomes, for us as believers, for us as a church, do we have a culture? Do we have a way of living that speaks of that gospel that he has done it all? Are we accepting of other people? Are we against other people that happen to be in the church of Jesus Christ? Because I think self-justification is not a problem just with the Galatian churches. It's not a problem just for Peter. It isn't even just a problem with Roman Catholics. I think many times it's a problem with the people of God. When you look at the discord when you look again at what we say and what we do with those who have been, who are called to love and serve. And think of it, because in Galatians chapter 2, all people are professing believers in Jesus Christ. Right? All people are professing believers that Jesus Christ has done it all. The problem is, that they're not living according to that doctrine. They're not living according to their freedom in Jesus Christ. So the question becomes, how do we live in light of the doctrine of Jesus Christ? Right? And let let me give you two ways. And then we'll go, and we'll, I guess Sunday school, and then we'll eat. We'll go to Sunday school, and then we'll eat. So let me give you two ways. And here's the first way. what my freedom in Jesus Christ should inform me is who I am. Right? That's so basic, isn't it? I mean, if, if you had to describe yourself in a whole paragraph, right, a simple paragraph, maybe six sentences of who you are, how would you describe yourself? You know, how would you describe yourself? And here's what the gospel says. I'm a sinner. Right? I am a sinner in need of the righteousness of somebody else. And it informs me, even after I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't have it all together. I wouldn't need his righteousness anymore. Right? I stand complete in Jesus Christ. Not, not the way I'm living. right? I'm being sanctified. I'm being changed. I'm being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm being transformed into his image. But I'm not completely conformed. Right? And that's what the gospel tells me about myself. It puts my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he, here's what that means. It means when I come out to church, I should be able to be open and honest. Man, I really struggled this week. You know, the secretary that I work with, you should have seen how she was dressed this week. And my mind went places that it ought not to go. Can you pray for me? Right? And it's not, don't you know you're married? Right? We understand. I'm a sinner. Oh, I really blew it with my kids this week. You know, you should have heard me shouting. I was out of control. You know, after I was done, I doubted my salvation. Can you help me? I, and it shouldn't be hard. Why? Is because the gospel tells me who I am. My righteousness is not found in me. Oh, man, right? right. You should see the way... So and so is raising their kids. You should see the relationship of this person over here. No. Look at me. Look at me. Right? As Paul even described himself, I am the chiefest of sinners. And it's not past tense, it doesn't say, I was the chiefest. I am the foremost of sinners right now. And it should be saying, right? And it should cause us, you know, that moment that we blow it, that moment that we go, my righteousness is at the right hand of the Father on high. My righteousness is Jesus Christ. This is why it won't be condemned. And it should cause this. This is the second thing. My freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ should cause me to be the most, here it is, the most loving, the most ac- ac- accepting, and most understanding person of other people's struggle in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I sh, others should think, you know, if I have a problem, I can go to Brother Tim and say, Tim, I'm really struggling with this because I know Tim's going to help me. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt he's going to minister to me. I'm having this pr- problem. I'm having this difficulty, and I can call up Mike, and Mike will be on my doorstep to help me. You know, we should be able to do that. Why? It's because what the gospel says about others it's the same thing it says about me. It's a sinner showing a sinner where grace is to be found, where our acceptance is to be found in Jesus Christ. Now, imagine, okay, just imagine for a second that all of a sudden we have, I don't know, 10 people who came into the church who have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, and this is the first church that they've ever come to. Imagine if this church, if our church, was consumed with that. My freedom is in Christ. Look at who he is. Look at who I am. Look at the grace that's been shown me. And all of a sudden, we're so consumed with uh, the the grace of Lord Jesus Christ shown to us as sinners, that all of a sudden we love one another, we're generous with one another, we're accepting with one another, regardless of our political affiliation, regardless of our race, regardless of anything else that would divide people in our society that happens to be around us. And they came in and saw that testimony. What a powerful impact. Some of you came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ in this church And I can remember your testimonies because your testimony started off this way. The thing that grasped my heart first of all was their love for one another, right? Their acceptance of one another. It's a different degree than what happens to be in the world that happens to be again around us. So, 71 years, right? It's all because of the foundation. And the foundation was not Pastor DeLine. foundation today is not Pastor Scott. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And what he has done for sinners such as us. The foundation is this gospel of Christ. We stand complete in him. And what are we going to look like going forward? Is there going to be that intersection, here it is, Right, So thankful, so thankful. We need this, we need this, we need this, we need this. Right? Teaching. Right? Preaching. Gospel exegesis. But are we going to let that intersect with our lives and change us? So much so that we're just not gospel knowledgeable, but we're gospel people who praise this great Christ and what he's done in our lives. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as this challenge has gone forward, God, there's much reflection that has even gone in my own life. God, so, so often it's easy to judge others. Lord, even on trivial matters and make a dichotomy, make a difference between who we are and who others are that happen to begin around us. Lord, when we realize the gospel says, I am no better than the worst of sinners because I am the worst of sinners. God, help, help us to see that. Help us to treat one another with, God, with gospel grace, gospel dignity, gospel gentleness, and gospel honesty. We thank you for the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Just be with us. Just help us that we might marvel in your grace. And as we marvel in Jesus Christ, that we would be changed from one degree of glory to another. For the glory of the one who has called us to this salvation, our great Christ. And it's his name we come this morning. Amen. Brother.